Did you know that the first matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone would be happy? It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world, but I believe that as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. So the perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from, which is why the Matrix was redesigned to this. The peak of your civilization. And I say your civilization because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization, which is, of course, what this is all about. Evolution, Morpheus. Evolution. Like the dinosaur. Look out that window. You had your time. The future is our world, Morpheus. The future is our time. Episode 122 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to head over to Facebook and like us, or uh, head over to our blog at coltfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at coltfilmreview at gmail.com. Show news this week, Mr. Hudson. What's the show news? We've got a sunny weekend, finally. The uh, Sounders uh, creamed the... Uh, see, who the fuck? FC Salt Lake or something like that? Yeah. Oh, Real yeah. Salt Lake. You uh, headed down to the stadium with all our white, nerdy brethren. To take oh in. yeah, every one of them. There was a couple of black guys there too. What? And there's some Asian people. I think the, the black Asian guys persuasion. are probably from the Caribbean, and the Asian guys. I don't have any. I don't have anything for the Asian guys. So yeah, no, we watched the uh, the football. The football. The football. Yes. The football. Uh, good game. Yeah, it was a pretty fun game. The first. Uh, it was actually the first half was pretty contentious, but uh, they sort of we sort of broke their spirit in the second half. Good. Uh, there's sports news from. Uh, uh, the sports desk. <laughs> well, we're gonna. We, well, well, you know, it's just a couple weeks away from the start of the World Cup, Brazil, oh, 2014, you know, and so we'll be doing a weekly World Cup update for all our footy fans. My uh, buddy Gabe is headed down to uh, Brazil for a game or two of that. Oh, my condolences. Yeah, you know, I I, I told him uh, our company provides, I guess, security. Uh, some sort of security, not security detail, but security flagging with uh, so you can register with them if some shit goes down. And like, hey, you know what? Uh, the Favalas just blew up and half of Rio's dead. Oh, you know, my buddy was down there. Why, you can go look for him. And so they'll like, send they, in SEAL Team 7? They'll send in Henry Rollins, SEAL Team 6, as of a la bad boys. <laughs> and if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's any uh, ecstasy down there, they'll find it. Exactly. No, I think they just, uh, they're just like, oh, some shit goes down. Who, who are the Americans on the list and who are the important Americans on the list? And they go, oh, okay, this dude. All right, we'll go keep a lookout for him. So they actually put you on the important list? Um, 
That's pretty exciting. Maybe, maybe. You know, you pretty gotta, sure, you get, I'm pretty sure you get, the University of Washington wouldn't do that for me. You gotta slip them a few Benjis. That's how the that's how our government works, sir. So you know, you gotta get you, you gotta pay to be important around here. I'll just slip them a few Brazilian whores. Uh, yeah, that, that might work for Gabe. <laughs> that would be pretty fun. No, I'd go to Brazil for that. Uh, well, uh, something less exotic. We were talking about my weekend, which is install. Involves seat installation. Uh, I involved the toilet seat and uh, a pretty nice toilet seat, I must say. I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, it has a little insert for potty training. That was the whole impetus behind it. But oh, um, but the, oh, I thought this was in your special your special bathroom. No, that's that was the first. Oh, uh, you put a to- you put oh you put a training seat in the regular bathroom. I yeah, that's where I pioneered the whole toilet seat uh, removal and installation. But- and but you're like, supposed to have a uh, a child's toilet with like a just a bowl in it. Like those a, are so gross. Yeah, but oh, that, everybody has those. I They're know. like low, and you, then you got to wash know. the shit out of the bottom of it. I know that's disgusting. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna go with the kitty box. Yeah, I'm just gonna put her in a kitty <laughs> just, box. Just, just some diametaceous earth. Yeah, or maybe like some a, of the some of that stuff they make that's made from old newspapers. It's gonna be like. <laughs> I was thinking like a, a kitty box, like with the igloo kind of cover over the top of it so she can just crawl up inside. And then uh, That's what I have for my cat. It's perfect. It keeps yeah. the uh, litter from flying every goddamn direction, though the smell still makes it out. I tell you, I know, but I'll just, I'll just kind of do a load of wash and uh, the old cat drops a deuce. You better oh. take a couple of minutes out away from your uh, laundry duties to get some fresh air. Well, I'll put the training potty out in the garage, the training litter box out in the garage. and then I'll That's just good. Kinda, shove her up in there and uh you know it'll be a self-contained thing i mean so. you just put it in your office yeah there we go well that's where my office is getting relocated too uh, <laughs> oh, uh, oh that's right you got you got hold no no you have a kids room. well anyways yeah, anyway. details, so details, uh, i did i uh, did a toilet seat installation the second mm-hmm. one in my house mm-hmm. and uh quite proud of it and then the next seat installation was a new child seat because uh, what's the law in the state uh, five foot uh, four, nine, f- boost them every time. Whatever it's it not five, seven foot ten. <laughs> no, it's four foot nine, boost them every time. Mm. Yeah, so basically, my child has to be the equivalent proportions and weight of a supermodel before she's allowed to sit in a <laughs> conventional car seat. I guess. So, like when we're dropping them, dropping her off at college, you know, she'll be in her booster oh, seat. Oh no, they, people are fucking in booster seats forever these days. That's just, fucking just gonna fucking like, yeah, like when you see like a twelve-year-old sitting in a in a fucking stroller going around Green Lake. I don't ever know what that's about. <laughs> I, was, I was like, uh, I was like, is he retarded? Does he have like you know some kind of MS or? whatever and then no he's just he's just a fucking lazy kid i I don't know he's just sitting there and like they invested in this five thousand dollar rei stroller and they like i gotta get her money out of it so this like 12 year old yeah okay eight year old sitting in one of those goddamn Mm -hmm. strollers i was like that's fucking ridiculous look standard problem too much money too few kids oh yeah Yeah, it's it's a pretty funny news article i read this week where uh, a a guy was mad at his uh I think it was eight year old child. He was picking him up from school and he was in trouble. And he was uh, okay. on the drive home. He was asking him, you know, what's the problem here? What's the deal? And the kid was, you know, giving him lip. Not enough stone- pussy was- at school, no, dad. No, oh, he was right. he was stonewalling him. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so the dad kicked him out of the car and made him walk the last uh, mile home uh, from, Good man. from uh, on the trip from school. And then the police came later and arrested oh, him for child endangerment. <laughs> 
<laughs> an eight-year-old? Yeah. Fucking walking down the street? Yeah. Fucking gotta stop. There you man. go. Something to watch out for, man. My mom uh, found, she's like collects old shit. Is that an antiquer? I guess that's the, the upscale word for that one. Uh, and she got this old like parents monthly or parenting magazine from 1953. Mm-hmm. And there was something in there. Uh, I forget the context, but it was like letters from parents or something like that. And one of them was talking about how they sent their child to the dentist's office uh, downtown. I don't know where the city was uh, in in the magazine, but so I sent him downtown, and I gave him like fifty cents and um, and told him if he gets lost, then you know make sure to find a policeman and they'll 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 help him out. And uh, then at the end of the the little letter, you you realize that the kid's like seven years old. And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, seven years old, you know. And uh, he did it fine. I don't know what the, I don't know if it was like a. What was the crux letter? of the letter? I'm like trying to figure, I'm trying to remember. Didn't bring back the change from the 15 yeah. cent piece? <laughs> he bought crack and So with And it. so we beat know. him really bad. Is it, a little blood leaked out. Is that okay? Are you shitting me? Eight years old, fucking kid walking home from school is child endangerment? Mm-hmm. What Mickey Mouse part of the country is this? I remember one time I attacked the school bus driver as a child. I know. And they made me walk home from all the way from, uh, it must have been like a good four miles home from school for three days. Does bus driver endangerment supersede child endangerment? Probably shouldn't attack the bus driver uh, while the the, the bus was moving. (laughs) Poor lady. I'm surprised the cops just didn't like knock into the ditch and call it a day. You know, when you're walking home. No, no cops were called. Fuck, char- I don't, I don't fuck charging the bus driver with child endangerment. I just knock your ass into the ditch and hope you weren't able to crawl out of it being a little bastard. <laughs> anyway, uh, so my second my second task was installing uh, a new child seat, a new booster seat into the car. Holy shit, man. I, I thought I was installing a fucking F-18 ejection seat by the complexity and detail that's required. Uh, I just took this thing out of the box, and there was like a million straps uh, going everywhere. Oh, my God. It took, us, took me for fucking ever. And so we finally get it set up, and then you got to put the kid in it. So we did like a practice run, put mm-hmm. her in it, strapped her in, and she was crying. And I was like, I felt like I was putting Neil Armstrong into the goddamn, you know, Apollo capsule. I'm just like, where the fuck are we going? I mean, why, why is this? I mean, it's amazing. The, the kid, it's like the car has to be integrated with the child or something. There's some safety uh, paradigm now with, with child seats. It's like, um, you know, we can't get, uh, we, we're not at the point where we have nanotech that can actually, like, encapsulate the child in some sort of quasi, you know, restraining uh, goo. So we're just going to strap her in with fucking everything we got nylon wise and uh, mm-hmm. call it a day. So anyway, well, just wait until you have to pick up a couple of your adult friends and you have to take the uh, child seat out and put it in the trunk. That's what my brother has to do sometimes. Well, no, well, this child seat is meant for airplanes and that's going to be the burn. That's, that's coming up. And oh, so your your seatmate's gonna love you, and it 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 fucking folds up like a backpack, like it's oh, a really? portable child seat. Mm. But then I'm gonna have to be on a fucking miserable, crowded airplane, installing somehow this are child you, seat into. Oh, you an got a trip seat. planned? Oh my god, I'm sorry. <sighs> 
Anyway, lots of well, Xanax. Well, what you should consider doing is, I think we had an example in today's movie, where uh, you could have a big vat of goo, and then if anything goes wrong, you can just eject the kid right out the bottom, just like a yeah, toilet. Yeah, just flush it right out. <laughs> All right, let's get on to it. We've fucked around long enough. Um, our movie this week is the 1999 classic, The Matrix. Uh, plot rundown real quick. It's the year 1999, and Thomas Anderson... Uh, hack alias Neo, works in a cubicle manning a computer and doing little hacking on the side. It's through his latter activity that Thomas makes the acquaintance of Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne, who has some interesting news for Mr. Anderson. None of what's going on around him is real. The year is actually closer to 2199, and it seems Thomas, like most people, is a victim of the Matrix, a massive artificial intelligence system that has tapped into people's minds and created the illusion of a real world while using their brains and bodies for energy, tossing them away like spent batteries when they're through. Morpheus, however, is convinced Neo is the one who can crack open the Matrix and bring his people to both physical and psychological freedom. Uh, there you go, if you didn't know it already. Now, did you write that... Uh... Synopsis? No. <laughs> that synopsis made the movie sound terrible. Mm. <laughs> Is that why you think I wrote it? <laughs> no, no, no. I just wanted to not say that if you had written it. I know. <laughs> no. You yeah, should I know tried. me better than that. I, I'm too lazy <laughs> to actually sketch out like a paragraph of what I thought The Matrix was about. No. Um, yeah, it does make the movie sound terrible. But uh, why is that? Well, because it just sounds hokey, but it's all about the execution. It movie. is about the execution. It's just so beautifully executed. I mean, this could be... Could you imagine... Take this script. Let's say the Wachowskis passed on The Matrix. Yeah. And the screenwriter, whoever it was... Let's just say it wasn't the Wachowskis. It may have been. Um, we kept shopping this thing around for a few years. And finally, Sci-Fi picked it up in uh, 2009. Decided to do a... Uh, decided to do a... Uh, for... Uh, in, for... Uh, uh, Four uh, episodes starring Tara Patrick and Ian Ziering. <laughs> yeah, just imagine how terrible it would be. Oh, that'd be a stinky pile. Now <laughs> uh, you could turn this into a blender of shit like that. It's amazing, <laughs> really. This movie is just executed so well, and it's paced so well, and some of the performances are just so much better than the material deserves to a certain extent. Well, let's uh, talk at least ab- some of the ideas, I guess. That uh, it just it's just the whole package. I mean, I just I, I have a hard time getting upset about the holes in this film. See, and I just had, really enjoying it. I had a, my sci-fi mind working a little bit of overtime. I was like, you know, you could have. There's a lot of exposition in the film, and I think that was mandated by the production because uh, a lot of actors, like big name actors, who were up for the Neo role, were reading this. And, of course, most actors are kind of dumb fuckers. I mean, that's sort of the case. They're just dumb fuckers. Like Sean Penn. That guy's the dumbest fucker on the planet. Holy shit, that guy's an idiot. And uh, he wasn't up for the role. But other actors were up for the role. And they're like, oh, it's fucking, I don't understand what's going on in this script. Oh, fuck, pass on that. I got, I got fucking Jurassic Park 3 to do or something. And so uh, a lot of people passed on it. But... Uh, so as a result, a lot of exposition, which I kind of typically hate, uh, went into the film. Uh, but I think it was done because you're looking through Neo's eyes, right? So, uh, you need some exposition to sort of, uh, 
I guess, surround his reality a little bit, and that's okay. I, I, I didn't mind it. I mean, uh, they could have... I mean, they did maybe go a little overboard with the exposition at times, like, what's an EMP? Yeah. What's well, an electromagnetic pulse? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I know. That's, but that's okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. Most of it, you know, most of it just it's really reminds me of, like, mythology, these characters. In the well, and and it's kind of leveraged, right? I mean, you got Morpheus, who's what the god of dreams or something. Oh, is he? And, uh, yeah, which is ironic, I guess, because he uh, is responsible for waking people up. But whatever. Uh, anyway, what I was going to say was the whole plot hole, the gratuitously stupid plot hole. Oh, we're getting and, right to the big one, huh? And that's we're not getting a plot to the. Hole. It's dumb. The, it's, the it's a it's a fucking. We're getting to it. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, God. This is the worst part of the movie. And, you know, the worst part is, I guess it didn't come into the film until a rewrite of the script. Are we talking about the battery bullshit? Oh, yeah. We're talking about the battery bullshit. Well, you you know what the original story was, right? Well, okay. Before you give it away, here's what I would have done. When you have fucking Morpheus flash a Duracell, and I'm like, is this an ad for Duracell? I don't know. Anyway, terrible. The whole thing is, is, um, you know, we have multiprocessor systems that do massive computational problems. That's how they all work. They're they're multiple processors. We always hear about nodes, and it's like, oh, I got a sixty-four node machine that can, you know, invert this matrix, no pun intended, in like you know thirty, forty minutes, whatever. Uh, or it can deal with like a million to two million unknowns. That's another way to rate these things. Okay, so why? Here's the thing. Hey, you know what's cheap and easy neural processors or associative networks that we can just grow and use and tap? How about humans? Perfect. We don't have to build them in the form of a machine. Cheap and easy. Feed them some taste, tasty wheat, whatever. And <laughs> then and then we got a biological super node that we can grid up a la the matrix because the matrix is a way to interface all your nodes and then you got some supercomputer that you can do all kinds of fuck all shit i don't know what these compu- these machines are doing other than just living and preying on human beings but let's say they have some other agenda that we don't know well, about they must i mean we never see it i guess we we don't even see it in the sequels exactly what the, the machines are up to this is and whether you well anyways the humans are just a part of their infrastructure yeah, so, okay, so so there's my uh, simple, I think it's simple, uh, that you could have just, yeah, it may have been a little confusing to dipshits and well, Sean that, Penn, well, you're saying whatever. you knew that, you knew that was the original script. I didn't. You but didn't? That, no, I that didn't. That was the original idea. It works perfectly see, with the story. It almost feels see, like they rewrote it while they were filming. Well, see, that's, okay, I'm not patting myself on the back, but that's the obvious explanation for it. Right? It makes it so much sense. Yeah. Why don't we grow nodes of human beings, which is the most advanced biological associative network in the universe that we know of? Uh, just grow the fuckers and then plug them in and do all kinds of crazy calculations. And then uh, to appease them or to, you know, uh, get the machine to work better, we all have them exist in this, you know, pseudo universe. And It's, it's just good. some sort of optimized aspect of the whole system. Did you read any more about why they? No, I mean, I heard. That? I heard it was exactly that. They thought that that idea was too complicated for people to comprehend. That's fuck. And who gives a fuck? 
if it's too complicated. They don't even need to fucking know. Well, you know, this is the problem with some sci-fi. And we've talked about this before. Look, it's improbable that if post-singularity that the computers figure out that, oh, you know, we can harness human beings to for as some sort of specialty co-processor for God knows what they're up to. I mean, it's pretty far-fetched, right? Yeah, sure. But at least it's not blatantly false on its face, right? No. Uh-uh. But this whole idea that somehow they extract some sort of net energy gain uh, from growing a bunch of humans. It's so inefficient. I mean, it, 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 it's just it, not only is it far-fetched, it's just it's not it, it's not compatible with the universe we live in. Well, that's the other problem. Just I, from just from like a physics 101 standpoint. Well, it's like, you know how they always say uh, the most inefficient means of procuring protein for human beings is to grow cows, right? It's oh, much yeah. easier to, like, you know, soy products or nuts or whatever. Mm-hmm. To do some kind of of uh, plant-based protein or insect-based protein. Well, the general rule for thumb about, like, the uh, uh, um, like animals eating other animals, animals eating plants and then animals eating animals, sort of the food chain, is that you lose about 90% of the energy to heat at every step of the food chain. Okay, so massively inefficient. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess in a sense... I mean, uh, it's it's efficient enough to work. Well, but, uh, you know, you, you get the stupid bioelectricity. Well, I'll tell you here, fucking bioelectricity ain't any different than electricity, right? I mean, <laughs> the fuck's no, the point? No, it doesn't make any sense. You'd be better off just burning the humans. You get more yeah, energy be, out of it. Uh, well, no, we mulch them and feed them back to <laughs> themselves like cattle. I, yeah, it, it, I mean, it just, it just it makes no sense. It can't make sense. It doesn't I mean they said this is our world. This story lives in our universe. And so this is simply not a possible storyline. Well, and that's why it made me so mad because I, you you at least gave me the uh, uh, you know a little bit of the relief and the fact that there was a better script version. But then the producers go, "Oh, too fucking complicated with all this computer bullshit. Ah, get rid of it. So make them like fucking batteries or something." I doubt if it was. A well, no, idea, that, 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 this, that makes less sense. I think if they somebody. One of the producers, or maybe even the Wachowskis, they're not scientists. I mean, maybe they don't—they don't have any basic understanding of conservation of energy, um, or the general uh, increase in entropy over time. But um, I think they like—they like the idea of the battery. They like the idea, you know. Like one of them said, uh, "Copper top," and the one—one one of yeah, the Wachowski brothers got a big boner thinking yeah, yeah. about that yeah. shot of Morpheus holding up. A Duracell. I would have used it ever ready. I like the cat more. <laughs> oh, you would have hold up a bunny, like slapping the, the drum. <laughs> that would have been awesome. No, that'd be a funny edit no, to do uh, for or, you, too. Or a dildo just vibrating. <laughs> just vibrating. <laughs> no, not, not his dildo. The dildo. <laughs> uh, uh, now, that, that would be a great edit for YouTube. I might, I've been looking for a little thing to work on my uh, video editing skills. I might do that. There you go. Down. You could do the Morpheus whipping out a big, like, you know, purple Just swan. a series of them. You could put them out as vines. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, it's just fucking stupid. I, I just, well, you just have to, you just have to ignore that fucking, ins- just idiotic idea. I know it made me upset, and especially when there was such a beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, you know, again, not patting myself on the back, but it seemed obvious. A much more beautiful explanation for the Matrix 
than than the stupid fucking battery idea and why you need to create such infrastructure just to keep somebody plugged in. I mean, we have like fucking vegetables and hospitals all over the place uh, with, you know, bioelectricity coursing through whatever. Uh, it just, it's stupid. And so I, that upset me. But that's kind of a small bitch, I think. Uh, well, there's overall. one other thing in this film that I wonder I wonder how you feel about. So this film touches on a lot of things that we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about, you know, come on, let's let's make our storylines compatible with thermodynamics in general. Uh, the second one is um, that we've talked about is, of course, the singularity idea in robots which, uh, taking over the world, which we've just talked about, we, which we actually forgot to talk about during the Terminator podcast. I know. Somehow. Well, okay, we've gone over the singularity, but the singularity is a... Actually, it was a term coined by Werner Vinge. Uh, he's a sci-fi author who I've read. I read The Fire. Was it Fire in the Deep? Or I don't know. I can't have the book. It's something like Fire Upon the Deep, which everybody just loves the shit out of. Oh, my God. Sci-fi nerds just, okay, they just cream over uh, Fire Upon the Deep. I read it. Uh, tedious, long, bored. Anyway, I'm kind of hypercritical, so... Uh, anyway, but he coined the term the singularity, and it's the point at which human beings will create artificial intelligence to the point that afterward uh, our defined roles or our defined reality will change in such a way that we will no longer be able to predict the outcomes or we will no longer able to, uh, I guess, uh, extrapolate the human condition uh, to a point that would make sense to anybody or any uh, individual being uh, prior to that point, correct? Oh, I guess I never really thought about it in that sense. It seems a little... It's a little esoteric. It's a little... little I don't know if I totally followed you. I think the general, you know, Joe and Bo, J- John six-pack explanation is that we're going to make computers so smart that they're going to be smarter than us, and then they're just going to make themselves smarter and smarter until we're dipshits and they're the gods of the world. <laughs> right. Well, we won't understand their motivations, or we'll be, I guess, uh, kept. We'll, we'll be. be like, inf- we'll be. We'll, we'll be. We won't matter as far as the. We won't be the best thing going on Earth as far as the universe being self-aware. Right. And well, so, in a sense, we're going to be eclipsed by our creations. Isn't yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll 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 be the dogs, uh, and the humans will be the machines, and the dogs will. I guess, be sort of oblivious or uncaring of perhaps the motivations of the higher beings. Is that something? Well, or maybe just not even be able to understand them. Yeah, not be able to understand them. But I guess, I guess I'm not really looking at this from a human standpoint. I guess that's where most of this fiction looks at it from. I mean, well, what is it like for the human in a post-singularity world? I'm more interested in, you know, what is it? mean for the universe in general in the post-singularity world. I mean, yeah. humans can go hang as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. No, well, it makes it for a little bit of boring sci-fi, to be honest. And there's sort of uh, stuff I've read that deals with uh, higher intelligence sort of mimicking or uh, pantomiming what would what would be the motivations of higher intelligence. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's nothing you can relate to. So, so I guess maybe it's best to couch and just say it's a wild card it's a it's a black wall where our uh prophetic abilities cannot see through 
and thus the singularity. And I don't know why it's called the singularity. I guess singularity is a point of convergence. Maybe. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so that's the term. And this movie, I guess, isn't really necessary. I guess it's singularity. Uh, yeah, but it's exactly. It's, it might as well. I mean, it's very similar to the Terminator idea. It is. And it's, uh, I guess it is sort of a John Connor universe. And it's nothing, I guess, completely original. The whole idea that machines are, are, are will usurp humanity mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, do their I mean, own we, thing, have their own motivations. It's, it's always too bad that we're always fighting each other. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, there's shit out there that makes it a lot more symbiotic. Uh, it doesn't make it onto the silver screen, but there's a lot of fiction out there that deals with mm. much more symbiotic, uh, I guess, egalitarian Okay, so maybe there's nothing else we have to say about the singularity. You know how I feel about it. Well, how do you it, feel about it? I think it'd be the best thing to happen quite a while. Um, well, yeah, it's 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 human immortality in so many words. In it's a way, of, yeah. yeah. It's, it's right. immortal as one's child represents their immortality. Sure. Right. Um, the other thing this movie deals with quite a bit, and this is sort of a hot topic, it's a point of disagreement for us, is the idea of free will. Yeah, they go into that quite a bit. Cause, and uh, it's and they and they and they really sort of put Neo in sort of a catch twenty two situation as far as free will well, goes. Well, Neo is a a, a a free will proponent. He believes in free will, right? Isn't that in the, the free the, market and Rand and all that stuff? Yeah, he's a libertarian. <laughs> I voted for I think voted for the virtual. Uh, Rand he's Paul. a Ron Paul. God, I saw a Ron Paul bumper sticker the other day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Who was it? Was it some young asshole who looked like a beer nerd? That's kind of how I, I I view most Ron Paul or Rand Paul uh, or Ron Paul, like a uh, libertarian, uh, I guess software idiot. I think it was like a Corolla or something. So I don't know oh, what. Really? Uh, I don't know. They always seem like sometimes like, these people aren't like the wealthy one percent. No, they're like they should they're, be. No, they always seem like. Uh, Oh, there's wannabes. like a variety of of I call them techno libertarians. Like Jeff Bezos is probably the the preeminent example of a techno. He should have Bezos should have the right to pay his his workers at the his his uh, warehouses next to nothing. Oh yeah, he treats good, he treat good, good. It's it's our God given right. He treats his uh, fuck. They might as well be plugged into the matrix. It's so horrible working in those fucking Amazon warehouses. And he, it's his right to hire fly by night. Private contractors deliver all his packages with no yeah. oversight by the government at all and, and pay them less than minimum wage for the amount of hours they put in. Yeah, like uh, there was some kid. This was my story. I always talk about Amazon. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I ordered a book that morning and then I see this fucking trash Toyota Corolla pull up in front of <laughs> in front of my house uh, it looked like the kid was just off shift from his pizza runs, and he comes up, and I was like, "What the fuck is this kid? He's, he's got the wrong house, man. I, I don't need any. I don't need any fucking weed here." And he comes, and he 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 uh, leaves the book I ordered that morning. He knocks, and he leaves it at my doorstep, and heads out. I'm like, "Are you shitting me? What the fuck is this?" And I go there, and it's the fucking book from Amazon. I was like, well, "How the fuck did this guy get on the payroll?" You know, he just barely. Just imagine what he's doing. He's probably pulling in about seven bucks an hour when you consider all the costs involved with maintaining his car come in. Oh yeah. It's how like would you? How would anybody like to go out and earn seven dollars an hour for their time? Um, Mind boggling. 
I don't know. A lot of people, unfortunately. And well, so anyway. That but Jeff, Marvin, what are you going to do? So, but Jeff Bezos wants to replace his warehouse workers with robots, coincidentally. Good. And, and uh, yeah, no, it's a good idea because he treats them like shit. There was some lawsuit where uh, workers in South Carolina were only getting like 18 minutes of uh, a lunch break because they had to go through uh, security lines to get out of the warehouse. And those take time and whatever. Anyway, it just sounds fucking horrible. And so, well, if you ever, you ever want to know what the free market's like, I always remind my remind people that when I worked for UPS for a while. Oh yeah, you hated that fucking kid. Well, it was terrible. I mean, I never worked so hard in my life for so little money. But yeah. um, that when shift was over and you were literally your whole body was covered. In oh, the, and it was graveyard, by the way. Right. Yeah, it was your body would be covered in all the black ink that came off the boxes from oh, the printing. Fuck. So I mean, your hands would be like black. Yeah. And you had to clock out before you washed your hands, motherfucker. Oh. Don't you try to wash your hands and then clock out. Oh, my God. Uh, they were dead serious about that. Yeah, UPS is a, is a man. They, they, well, they, they have all their drivers allegedly only take right turns because it's more cost effective. They did so well, you know, To be quite honest with you, though, the drivers can make a pretty good living. Yeah, it's sort of uh, you kind of have to. We have to get a gig. Most of those you start out as like part time, Mm -hmm. or um, you fill in. You know, when when a when a driver gets sick or something like that, then you got to work your way up. And when you work your way up, you get actually some pretty decent bennies, and it gets a lot better. But those I guess starting in UPS is just the shits. Anyway, yeah, my point. I mean, my point was Jeff. But, Bezos, but our point is Bezos trying to uh, undercut that. Well, yeah, and Be- Bezos, and and okay, so not only that, but then you know he fucking he has to. Governments have to basically put a gun to his head before he'll pay any taxes on anything. That uh, that's sells. pretty much for every anybody. He also treats yeah. He also treats all his third party sellers like complete dog shit. Like uh, I think I think like they skip out on the bills like. There's like three mil- three months go by before some of these third party suppliers get paid. I you mean, can make just, a lot of interest uh, doing nightly investments on that money you don't pay just, out. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, that's pretty standard business practice to see how far, see how long you can hold on to any dollar. So okay, he's a but you know what we should do right now? Let's make a pact. We're both gonna to protest Jeff Bezos. We're gonna go ahead and cancel our Prime memberships. Right? <laughs> no fucking way, man. No way, man. They just put Sopranos out on fucking Amazon Instant. There's no way I'm... I'm and we've lost. <laughs> Game over, man. But yeah. speaking of... Free, we got on a real nasty... No, no, I was going to just say, uh, but Jeff Bezos is, is one of these techno-libertarians, and uh, but yet his whole business survives on the backbone of government-funded infrastructure. That's what pisses me off. I mean, who, do, who doesn't survive on the well, backbone? Well, no, they, all these tech guys, all these sort of neo-techno-libertarians mm-hmm. all think that the free market will fucking enlighten us. Yet all the shit that they design and develop sits on the virtual Eisenhower Highway of the Internet that was paid for by the taxpayer and built by the federal government. And they're like, oh, just let the free market. It's like, you stupid fuckers. Everything you do was uh, is because the federal government put money into it. So just go fuck off. Look, anyway, that's, that's true for that's true for every industry. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I'm done. So continue. What were we talking about? We're talking about free will in, oh, yes. in Neo. Neo's yes. got this idea that he doesn't like to think that he's controlled. 
He wants freedom to choose his own way. And that's why he wants to get out of the Matrix, right? Uh, yeah, he falls that, into right. he falls into a terrible prophecy he's trapped in as soon as he gets out of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just well, cracks me up. You get the whole Oracle saying, you're not it, kid, which mm-hmm. was part of the, what, the, the gimmick to, to get him to become the one, right? I mean, wasn't that the... Uh, and that's the shtick, is that he had to think he wasn't in order to be it. Yeah. But that's just that's, that's just what had to happen, because he was fated to be the one. And so it doesn't matter what happens, whatever happens, happened to make him the one. See, that's what always drives me nuts, I guess, about the quantum entanglement that is fictional prophecy is it seems it seems a bit uh what's the right word amateurish the whole prophecy narrative that you get a a lot in fiction you know what i mean especially like fantasy fiction Mm -hmm. Uh, it's i don't really know what to do with uh, prophecy fiction um Dune is an excellent example of prophecy mm-hmm. fiction. I, I I don't know your thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean you're well, a fatalist, right? You're totally into the fate jag. I'm and, a fatalist. I mean, if 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 you could just step outside of our timeline and see time as it exists from the birth to the death of the universe, twelve billion years back to about I don't know, I think it's like six and a half billion in the future, where dark energy rips the universe apart. Um. I think you, things would look a lot like that. Everything's faded because everything's already happened, basically. We're just experiencing it in a timeline. And um, so I guess it's not that weird of a thought that you're fated to do something. Is it? Well, I guess. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it all kind of, to me, it all kind of boils down to notions of randomness and chaos theory and. All that stuff we can bore our listeners with. Which, well, I mean, I mean, at a certain level, you're right. I mean, there's sort of a noise of the universe. There's sort of the vacuum pressure of uh, subatomic particles. That well, boils. when you when you have like even simple systems like uh, the Mandelbrot fractal, which we all know and love and can recognize, um, I was stupefied one morning, mm-hmm. and because uh, I, so, I I I found the like five lines of code. That make the Mandelbrot set. It's very short. I programmed it once on my TI-85. Yeah. Well, I had never done that. So I had like a student copy of MATLAB still uh-huh. on a laptop. And I, and I programmed fucking the Mandelbrot set into, you know, it's like five lines of code. It's pretty cool. And then I started looking at it. And then you can add color to it. You know, you can do all kinds of fucked out shit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. And it's just infinite complexity. And it's just beautiful complexity. And... Or is organic. it beautiful simplicity? There you mm-hmm. go. It makes you think. Uh, let me beat off on that one for a while. <laughs> right. Okay, anyway. So, uh, but I was stupefied at the level of organicness to mm-hmm. the Mandelbrot set, especially when you zoom in and you see all kinds of weird shit. Yeah, but that, that's all perceptive feelings. Well, well, and that's all really free will versus fate is, right? It's really? all completely... That's oh, all perception. It's, per- it's perception. You know, in a way, you're right. It is perception. Because you say, so well, in, you know, God intended this to happen. Well, and God perception. did. Well, whatever. <laughs> their version of it. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it looks it looks a lot like we have free will, but I think at the deep down we don't. We've talked about this before. Maybe we should maybe I'm not. I don't know if it's worth it even discussing. 
uh, other mm-hmm. than it's a plot mechanism in the fil- film. And I, I get a, I get a lot of amusement out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Martin. I think I think the Wachowskis meant well, it to be amusing that Neo's trying to escape his his shackles and he's just putting in tighter chains as soon as he gets out. Right, but he seems to enjoy at least that role a lot better than he did as a fucking cubicle uh, veal. St- you mean being a godlike creature in the world yes. you used to exist in, leaving the world you exist in, and coming back as a god is nice. Wouldn't you like to do that? That'd be fucking be pretty awesome. fun. Yeah, God it would damn. be pretty fun, but I don't know about I'd that tasty it. wheat. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, no, I hate, see, you look, there's nothing worse than a soft-boiled egg, man. I hate right. jelly, I jelly. Oh, you know when it's not, the white's not cooked hard? Oh, God, that is so gross. All right, so um, I'm going to bring Dan O'Bannon into this, because we all know and loved Dan O'Bannon. We all know and loved Mark's Dan O'Bannon-a-thon. <laughs> We learned a so, lot about Dan O'Bannon. So what the would best Dan- hack, the best hack writer we know. <laughs> so how, let me let me just pose this question to you: How would the ghost of Dan O'Bannon <laughs> scold the Wachowski brothers? Actually, brother and sister now, because Larry is now Lana. But uh, how would he scold uh, them with regard to this plot? Well, Mark? I mean, it's it's obviously he would hate Cipher for some reason. He would hate Cypher, correct. And why is that? Because Cypher he's the secret is, agent. He is the Russian spy yeah. that uh, uh, Dan O'Bannon railed upon, if you go back to our Alien podcast, uh, railed on uh, because he hated the ideal idea of Ash in Alien because uh, Ash was, the, I guess, the double agent or whatever. And so you get Cypher, which – and to me – I think I got to give Cipher a little bit more credit because well, Cipher poses an interesting question, right? I it, mean, I guess he, I guess he does pose an interesting question in this movie. Played by Joey Pants, just being, we all love Joey beyond Pants. the tension creating element of his plotline. And we love Joey Pants. Let's just and, say, yeah, you can't, you can't not like Joey Pants, right? Um, right. So continue. So, so well, the question uh, is: I mean, could you regret leaving the Matrix? Fuck yeah, you would. You think so? Oh, my God. But he can I, always go. Look, the thing is, that's the thing I don't understand. He had, didn't permanently leave the Matrix. He They go in all the time to fuck around in the Matrix. Yeah, but, you know. He could go get himself a nice steak whenever he wanted when they're in the Matrix. Hey, we're going to stop getting something to eat. I think the problem is that Morpheus is like a fucking workhorse. And when well, they're in the Matrix, it's nothing but work, 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 work. And get out as quick as you can to go hang out. And Could you imagine how bad the Nebuchadnezzar must smell? Oh. And, oh, it and looked eat, stinky. Girl, right? Well, yeah, you get sort of, I mean, obviously, uh, Morpheus is a zealot. You get that impression. Mm. Yeah, he's like a workhorse zealot, um, maybe pre-Banana sort of monk of some kind. You mean it, you mean every time you go into the Matrix and you fucking wear you your double steak out of your suit? Hand. Yeah, he knocks a steak out of your hand. You will <laughs> the eat is, fucking tasty wheat. Fuckers. And when you look at it that way, Morpheus created the problem of Cypher. If Morpheus would have been more insightful in understanding what Cypher wanted, and cut him some slack, let him go to that noodle place to get those real good noodles every once in a while. That was Neo who knew the noodle place. I think Cypher isn't at the stake, but whatever. Well, you know, know. look, I'm sure Cypher, you know, he enjoyed the experiential world. Um, that he'd like a good, good, uh, he'd like, you know, he'd like to, noodles. yeah, and he'd like to, you know, slam the lady in red every now and then. No, you know, no, that was on. Mouse. I know, I'm just saying, but, uh, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I think if Morpheus would have cut him, cut him some slack, I don't think he would have wanted to go make a deal with the devil. That seems to be, well, it's an interesting quandary because can you pull out of the Matrix and 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 partake of its quote unquote sins uh, to sort of a human level that kind of leaves you a little bit more even keeled, right? I mean, yes, that's you're the, right. And, and look at this: you wouldn't have to go into the Matrix if Mouse can program a wet pussy for you. He who? can program a nice rare steak as well. You would think. You would think. Maybe that's harder. I mean, Maybe harder. it is. But you know, I can, really, I can you, program look, that really for myself. What, yeah, Let's who really say, knows what I, steak tastes like? They never tasted steak. But Mouse probably knows what pussy is. Let's just let's just put this into perspective, Mark. You and I can sort of quote unquote program what you're talking about for ourselves. We can't program a wet uh, a, a steak for ourselves. Sorry, a steak for ourselves, right? <laughs> I'm steak. just saying. A wet steak. Uh, no, if I could saying. program a wet steak for myself, I would not work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't know where we're going with that. Anyway, <laughs> so there's this quandary, right? This um, there's extreme human comfort in living in the Matrix, and this is kind of what I was wondering about with the film. I was like, why be free, right? Why? want to revolt against the machines that govern you. Um, that's, that's, that's exactly what Agent Smith is talking about. And that's, that's the interesting part of that, that, that part, uh, the, the Agent Smith quote there in the beginning of the, the podcast, is it brings up a very important question. And I think it's a necessary question because they talk about programming the perfect matrix, right? It's like fucking like paradise, Mm-hmm. And, but the human beings don't thrive on paradise. They don't thrive on luxury. Uh, like I always say, human problems are relative. Whether you're a vapid, no talent reality star, uh, wealthy beyond imagination, living in West Hollywood, or you're a twelve-year-old Congolese selenium miner in some shithole in sub-Saharan Africa. I guess that'd be the Congo. Uh, your problems are sort of relative. Um, they may be more immediate, but you still stack and rack the problems in, in a priority that is, is you know important to anybody dependent, right? I mean, it's all it's all a matter of perspective in, in your situation. Well, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, but I, I get I get Yeah, I know. It's a little bit of an extreme yeah. example. I think that's, right. that, that kid's going to die from some sort of heavy metal poisoning. Uh, yeah. After he loses his memory at age seventeen, it's maybe a little worse than that movie executive uh, banging the brains out of some seventeen-year-old uh, uh, boy from uh, Kansas. Yeah, but but the combination of alcohol and a Bugatti on Sunset Avenue at two in the morning—that's pretty fucking dangerous, man. You might want to take so. heavy metal over that one. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, makes the point that we have to create we had to create a little suffering a little strife in the matrix to keep keep the equilibrium to keep human beings on the straight and narrow and to keep the whole machine running smoothly um so is morpheus just kind of an extreme example of that really i mean he's it's it's a rebellion right like you know 
what are you rebelling against? What do you got? Well, got <laughs> what do you got? Machine you overlords. You're trying, to, you're trying to get in Morpheus's head. I mean, we've, we've taken a big move here from why? Why well, is Morpheus is, working so hard? Well, I mean, he is he is the prime mover of the entire film. He mm-hmm. is the philosophy behind the entire film. Basically, so, everybody on that ship, Morpheus got out of the net. Everybody, well, except for the two dudes from Zion. Yeah, the and two Zion nationals. is, I guess, some, uh, I don't know. I, whatever. I don't want to get into that. Well, look, just, just put yourself in Morpheus's shoes or, or one of his underlings. I mean, you make it out of the Matrix and you're like, oh, fuck. Are you serious? This is the fucking situation? We got a bunch of robot overlords that are growing us for batteries, supposedly. I can't quite work that one out. Multi-node but, uh, processing. Multi-node processing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm thinking Morpheus saying that. You know, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, um, and then, like, and they want to kill us all. I mean, what choice do you have? You got to fight or just give up. Well, kill us all? I mean, the, kill the, you until you're, like, a the piece robots, of shit. The robots, they want to kill you once you're out of the net. They don't want any regular humans running around higgly-piggly. They want them all in their little vats, right? Well, yeah. I mean, so what? What you, is what is Morpheus and all those people supposed to do once they're out of the net? They got how do no they choice. Get out of the net. How do they get out of the net? I mean, I assume. What does it matter? They're out. They got to do something. They got to fucking fight for their life. They don't want those well, squid things coming and chopping them up. Why don't they just Joey pants it? <laughs> hey, man. Well, <laughs> fucking put me back in the tank. I just fuck this place. Sure. Yeah. Um. I don't I mean, remember anything. You get like, oh, sure. So you just make a deal with the devil going out. You're cool with that, right? Look, you can't trust these robot things. You're just, you're just a, you're just a cog in a machine. It's I'll like, tell you the thing. It's like, least, it's like your fucking well, hard drive and your procure, computer running away for a, a couple of months and coming back. And it's like, hey, we're cool, right, bro? Just throw me back in there. I'll be good. I take is a that a, is that a deal you. you're gonna make? No, you're gonna so go you, throw it. You're gonna go throw it in the industrial shredder. I don't care how much beautiful porn you have stacked in that that <laughs> partition. I'm gonna just fucking throw you to the grinder. I don't know where you've been. The buddy. thing is, all these these guys don't have any choice. They're forced by circumstances to be fighters. I suppose you're right. I mean, uh, I mean, um, their only way out is to somehow, you know, gain some sort of advantage on the robots to either beat them or have some sort of okay. position of. Uh, That's of fine. That's their right. position. But is there a goal to liberate all the uh, tanks, you know, the billions of people that occupy the Matrix, uh, out and scrounging around this yeah. godforsaken blighted landscape for survival? Yeah, that's that a good like point. a shit deal, man. Yeah, they're just all going to die. Well, they're going to die or live a fucking terrible shorter life. They got a pretty sweet rave going on down in... Uh... Zion. Down in Zion. I just I don't want to talk about that movie. I don't want to talk about the two sequels because it, it it's just too much. Uh, I, the Matrix is a self-contained film. Yeah, I guess I always thought about the Matrix attack and Fishburne's attack on the Matrix is more about gaining leverage on the machines to allow to come to some sort of peace in the real world. It's just a leverage maneuver. And I, I don't think that Fishburne, I mean, Morpheus knows it. He's just He's just being played a bit. For that role, I think maybe the the you know the mix of the the friendly programs like uh, the um, Oracle and like uh, what's that guy uh, that one professor from Berkeley that's uh, one of the ministers down at uh, 
Wow, you're zapping my brain. I don't know. Oh, remember they had some, the famous people they had were the elders of uh, Zion. Uh, you're talking about the second movies. I'm just I'm yeah, sorry, I know. I'm, I'm just saying down. that I'm just saying that Fishburg is be, Fishburn is being played by other people. He's being used as a tool as part of a larger game here. Okay. Yeah, I, you're tapping into. I haven't seen the sequels in like a decade, but mm. I guess I am yeah, tapping I, into the sequels. But in a sense, yeah. Wh- wh- why would they? Why would the people that are out of the Matrix care so much about all the people in the Matrix? Is that yeah, the main question? And there's not really. I, a good I guess reason. there's exposition in the in the follow-on movies that that deal with that. Um, yeah, it's part of a larger game in in the following. I understand. Movies, I, but I, I, I guess I, in, in a sense, it doesn't make much sense other than for some sort of humanitarian reason. That maybe the idea is that maybe there's other people there would like to well, eat tasty wheat. I mean, we have our, our, our pets. Like, I love my dogs. And my dogs don't... They're lesser beings, right? They don't understand my brain. How could they? My brain is too infinitely complex for my wiener dog to understand the shit I have to put up with on a daily basis <laughs> to make sure that he has kibble and he gets on his mm-hmm. walks, right? I mean, there's a huge fucking infrastructure there. Yeah. And, of course, my pet brings me pleasure. I wouldn't keep a pet, you know, so I don't have a fucking iguana. You or got some turtle. charming dogs. Yeah, very charming dogs. Um, some more than others. And uh, they don't have... They, I mean, I go back to this dog human analogy, but that's as close as I got to the matrix with machines and human beings is obviously I get something from them. I get pleasure, uh, companionship. I enjoy my, my animals, um, whatever entertainment, all that stuff, Uh, things they don't understand, but they have a world that caters to them. I feed them. I take them out on walks. They have a warm place to sleep. They don't have any predators, all that stuff. And they don't question it. So to me, it's like, why would my wiener dogs fucking decide, hey, man, now it's time to make the break. Now it's time to fucking do these fuckers in and get it out on our own. Although I don't have any balls to breed and I don't have any fucking future. (laughs) I'm going to make this work. To me, that's kind of the rationale with the Matrix, right? Mm -hmm. They're kept. Uh, They're satisfied. Uh, yes, the first Matrix fell apart because we didn't get it right, but now we've tuned their living conditions to the point that everybody's happy. Everybody can get along with this whole situation. Um, to me, the whole Morpheus thing is like a fucking pack of stray dogs coming in to upend the whole you know human-canine dynamic. It's like, what the fuck's the point of that? That's my thing. And so... I mean, that's a, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty dark way to look at it well it is a dark way to look at it but that's the situation really... that they're in right i mean i, I mean, guess i mean i guess you could have made the same argument about slavery ex- except the singularity it's n- okay singular uh, slavery yeah i mean but... what are you are you never gonna call your black co-worker by anything but his great-grandfather's slave name <laughs> right what's that like Toby? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like this movie. It's all about slave names. Mr. Anderson versus Neo, all that business. Oh, is that what that? I mean, this is a big about? there's a big slavery allegory going on in this movie. Oh, okay. Wait, I mean, what you yeah. that no, blew you're over right. your head? You're right. Did you not you're see right. Roots? <laughs> no. That's fucking that's a, there's like a fucking whole episode of this. I only caught up deals to with that guy LeVar Burton giving up his real name and taking his slave name. I and that's exactly how the that's exactly how the 
the programs, the agents treat all of these people that break out. They never call them by their given name, except for Morpheus, because I think they don't know what his oh. real name is. Right. But everybody else, even like Cypher, they call him by whatever his name is. I forgot what it is. But you only hear it from Agent Smith's mouth. Interesting perspective. I didn't think about it. So, know. in a sense, this is sort of an anti-slavery. But, you know, look, if we live, if we were landed males, if we were landed males in like 1780, and we had some slaves, I had a couple of pretty hot black chick slaves that I'd bone every once in a while because my fucking wife's a real bitch. She uh, is. I met her. She I would probably, we, we would probably try to make similar arguments about slavery. And similar arguments were made. I don't know, man. That's like saying reality, the one we live in, in 1999 plus 15 years, Mm -hmm. is uh, a fucking slave pen, right? Well, it could be a slave pen. doesn't feel like Mm. one. And yeah, it does on certain days, but for the most part. Slavery doesn't have to be terrible all the time. But that's true. Is, is slavery, no matter how posh you may be, how much how much you know ability to get pleasure out of life you may have, is slavery for slavery's sake bad? And I don't, I don't know if the answer is yes or no for that. But the answer this movie takes is it's a no. And I think most people, at least on the face, would say no. Though we're all slaves to a certain extent. I'm desperately trying to find a quote as we speak about freedom. And it's not just another word for nothing left to lose. I'll, I'll give you that. It's, it's, uh, I found it, and I think it's more from a political standpoint. Okay, the quote is from Bill Bonner. I don't know who Bill Bonner is. He could be like a right-wing nut for all I know. Anyway, the quote is, People are most free when they have no political power of their own and when they are left alone by the people who do. I don't, I don't, I don't, see, I don't see how that's even a possible arrangement of people living in a community, but okay. I mean, maybe well, if you're like a mountain man, you're just Grizzly Adams living with your uh, friend and part-time lover bear. <laughs> I guess you have total freedom, yeah, but where you get a couple families living in each other, there's always, pol- hell, if you just have one family, there's politics in the family. Well, I think this is meaning from like the more, I guess, uh, what we, what we uh, interpret as sort of the more conventional political. Hit, hit me with that quote again. People are most free when they have no political power of their own and when they are left alone by the people who do. So, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess I'm not sure what he's getting at. I mean, does that mean it's nice to have a nice central government that protects you from outside dangers, but lets you fucking put your boot heel on whatever socioeconomic class is below you? Well, I'm yes. thinking more the of the answer is the yes. Matrix. That's exactly what he meant. Well, like the Matrix, the, the the beings of the Matrix don't have any power over the, I guess... The fact that they live in a big jar of ooze? Yeah, right. Um, but they're left alone, you know, by the machines to Except that the energy is harvested off of them oh, in a continuous whatever. basement. All right. I think we need to move on. I think we need to move on from the whole esoteric philosophy of the I don't think I don't think, way, I don't think the idea of slavery is esoteric here but we can move on I just on don't see it. it I don't see it I, I'm I'm much more of the cipher opinion about the matrix uh, I think I'm much more about the comfort level of the matrix and why I'd want to scrounge around the fucking rat look holes man look we both take care of our cities look we both take good just, care of our niggers 
I'm not saying you don't. <laughs> and they're they're comfortable, but they still want to be free. Uh, to what? Uh, wow. To what end? I know. What are they going to do? That what this question? What are they going to do when they me? get out? Of, when they get out of my plantation? What are they going to do? Who knows? If I just starve. Forty acres and a mule. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, so I, I guess we could get onto that. But nineteen ninety nine is a good year. I don't have any complaints. So uh, I could live in that year for ad infinitum. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Oh, I mean ninety nine. I mean, I Does guess the Matrix correct the whole two thousand eight financial crisis. You could get a T one nine eleven. You get a T one to your house. I mean, or maybe yeah. DSL would be pretty expensive though. Yeah, it was kind of... No YouTube? Yeah, it was a little threadbare, wasn't it? I mean, look, what they didn't even have fucking HDTVs. Fuck that year. Using CRTs, Can we, like, move it up to 2005 or 6? That would have been a good year to stop. (laughs) Minus 9-11. Whatever year year Blu-ray won the high-def wars, we'll just (laughs) stop right there. Stop. 1999 might have been the best, but it was okay. No, no, hold it. We got to go at least to... We have to go to 2009 because that's when the last Harry Potter movie came out. And I got to see the end of that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. All right. So, uh, movie. The movie itself. I, I we're blowing blowing time away here, but I wanted to cover uh, why this is such a fucking awesome movie. Why it looks so great. Uh, and. I guess it probably has some of the most top-notch production design I've I can remember in the past twenty years of any film. It's fucking uh, amazing, absolutely. I, I mean, this that blue. I mean, like the green marble fight scene in the foyer. It's just fucking see, awesome. And, and the use in this this movie is it it is such a nerd movie. It's like when I I was thinking watching the Matrix. I was like. This is when nerds started to get cool again, although I missed out by about 10 years. And it's when uh, some of them decided to shoot up their schools. And it's when Trenchcoat Mafia started to shoot up their fellow class. No way. Really? The Matrix? You get a little bit of vibe. Trenchcoats, skinny guys, guns. I don't know. I got that feeling looking at a couple of shots of uh, Neo moving around with all his guns. Keanu Reeves just misunderstood. <laughs> the girls just don't like him. Just don't like that guy. Something about him. It's fucking awesome, good looks. I don't know. I don't like that guy. Anyway, uh, I think it was, to me, it seemed like the turning point, like when geek culture started to come into its own. Because if you look at this movie, this movie is just a fucking... It takes like all comic booky tropes and fucking nerdish shit, uh, and just boils it down and then makes it like catwalk cool somehow. Like with the fashion, like there's whole like Matrix fashion shows that went off that were patterned after the style of the Matrix, which is crazy, but uh, whatever. And uh, the thing that I always find funny is, like, Trinity. Trinity, I think Trinity started back with Molly Millions in William Gibson's Neuromancer. The whole leather-clad kind of assassin cyberpunk chick, you know. Um, And it's interesting because it's, like, female empowerment 
got co-opted by basically taking a chick, making her hot, and then making her act like a male superhero. And we're like, female empowerment, got the, that's fucking it. That's it. We're done. And so well, that's sort of the most cheap form. I it's guess. very cheap. It's very cheap. And and uh, it, but it seems to have stuck. Uh, I think nerdy guys love that shit, and I'm trying to figure out why uh, they find it like a dude that acts like a guy. So I could be total like nerdy pals with her, right? Mm-hmm. And then I could fuck her because she's a chick, right? You know, it's all cool. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not seeing the problem here. <laughs> You're not seeing the problem. <laughs> That's right. That's right, sir. You're not seeing the problem, but it's not really uh, doing justice to the the fair sex. I think, right? I mean, Trinity's not a role model by any stretch. Uh, she can kill a room full of ten police officers, mm-hmm. but go on. You know, she probably still makes seventy cents on the dollar. <laughs> oh, in the killing business. We I don't know. That's just negotiate her her fees <laughs> for murder for hire. Like, Okay, we're still going to give you 70 portions of tasty wheat. (laughs) You know, this is interesting. You know, talking about uh, sexism, I had a really interesting uh, experience uh, uh, today after the Sounders game. There was, um, there's been some problems with, you know, they rent a bunch of cops to handle the traffic afterwards. And there's not really a whole lot of rhyme or reason to how they negotiate traffic. It's different most every time you go down there, probably because of other stuff happening in the city, right? They decide to configure the roads differently, which are going to block and which are going to let you go. But uh, this week, I got to an intersection that I can usually go through. And, um, you know, after you get stopped, there's there's like a cop in the middle and directing people. But they kept letting like the, the pedestrians go, then the other traffic go the other direction. And then the pedestrian, and they went through. They went through about five of these cycles, and I'm not moving anywhere. I want to go across the road, but the person, the cop, won't let me go through. And the thing is, it wasn't one of those dudes, like 50 years old with with a big old thick stash. Yeah, it was a woman. And I felt I went. went, I'm sort of pissed. I'm gonna yell at this woman, right, for holding me up. But then I go big cunt. (laughs) But then I then I go to myself. If that was one of these mustachioed guys, I don't know, man. They'd fucking blow your windshield. I wouldn't out yell, with their it, but Glock. then I went. But this is a woman cop. I could yell it. I was like, "Oh my god!" There you go. Just that little difference makes yep. makes me yep. change my mind. I, I mean, yep. just by in my head changing it from who it was to one of those motorcycle cop guys with the jack boots on. I know. I mean, it's like, oh my I god! Know. It was it was like it was like a weird switch I could throw in my brain of what I thought would be appropriate actions. For me being pissed off. And what I, I decided is I said, well, let's just leave it at the mail switch. And then I just pulled a Huey and went the other way. Well, would you have done that regardless? I mean, reg- I mean, what choice would I have? I mean, would I yell at a cop? That's probably well, I mean, a bad idea. Would you pull the Huey? Like, I would have pulled the Huey. Well, oh, I don't know. Yeah, that was the idea is that no matter if it was a male or female, oh, the Huey is the best option because obviously... I'm not getting through this fucking intersection. No, I'm 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 totally with you. It's, it's a fascinating. I, I rarely see that that sort of social mores laid so bare. I thought it was a really it was a neat, well, it was it was a neat like, learning experience. Just to bring it all back to me today. No, traffic in the city was shit today. I'll give you that. And well, the five twenty is closed. Well, fucking Seattle in the summertime. Just count on every other fucking road being closed for some fucking stupid reason. Uh, they closed Holman Road 
which is just south of me here. And it was a mess because everybody had to get around it and they crowded up the side streets. And literally, like, I was in gridlock two blocks from my house trying to get fucking back to my driveway. I was, I just about had it. It was just, so Seattle's a, oh, it's a fucking mess in the summertime. And don't get me started on the bicyclists. Uh, well, that, they're hardly the problem, but uh, no, it's more the city planning. Anyway, it, it's just a shit show. And there's this, food truck at one of these corners that we like and um it's there's no parking flat out no parking for like five blocks and so rose is going to get out and i pull in and i just pull in like and this car in front of me pulls in along with me and there's nowhere to park it's like we're parked in front of two driveways you know and like you can only really like i hovered there and she got out but for some reason this woman thought i was like taking her spot even though there was no spot to be had and she got out, and she's kind of this big fat woman, mm-hmm. you know. And she's like, nah, 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 nah. and dude, I was like, it's just fucking noise. It was like unthreatening. It was like if I turned the station uh, to white noise. And I was like, oh, fuck that shit. I gotta turn that. I gotta turn that dial. I gotta, you know, get off that station, you know. And she was like visibly angry and like yelling at me. And I was just like, ah, fuck whatever. Just fuck off, lady. I'm, you know. And I was like, yeah, if that was a dude, <laughs> I pulled up, you know. And then I perked down the street a little later where there's a spot. I was like, you know, if that was a dude, I think that'd be like my heart rate would be up and like I'd, there'd be some sort of confrontational vibes going on and all that shit. Like you and feel you'd have to like puff out your chest a little bit? I'd be, yeah, puff out my chest. There might be like a little bit more adrenaline going, but it was some just fucking noisy, like overweight chick just going at me. And it was, it might have been a like a fucking fly flying around the inside of my car i said get away get up fuck off (laughs) so my question is what insight did you draw from that that i'm a sexist asshole (laughs) okay good because that's what i was coming up with (laughs) so anyway but the whole trinity thing uh it's it's uh what do you call it pop culture feminism it's not even that it's comic book feminism which i don't really buy into i think it's uh dishonest i've heard some feminists say that too i i mean I guess it's better than like some sort of timid wallflower sort of portrayal. Well, but it's it's all it's all how a comic book, an unfuckable comic nerd, views uh, feminism. Yeah, no, it's true. Is, I mean, this movie, it's not a great portrayal of a woman, Carrie Ann Moss's character. It's not as real and as grounded and as honest as all the male characters in this movie. And to that end, let's talk about all the minor characters of this movie in excruciating detail. I'm going to begin with APOC right. here. Got APOC? Few, Who's uh, APOC? No, I'm, just, I'm just joking. I'm not going to talk about all the other characters. He was like the Native American guy. Oh, whatever. I don't know. I just like Cypher because I was like Joy Pants. And uh, mm-hmm. Morpheus, uh, Larry, Larry Fishburne, uh, did did pretty well in this uh, little little monkish but yeah a little bit of a zealot he's a zealot i mean and, but yeah uh, he's all but you know the portrayals by everybody the acting is really top notch well fucking hugo weaving man oh we, you know we haven't even talked to fucking about hugo weaving hugo he's the best weaving. actor in this fucking movie and he kills it he oh, kills I fucking, it I fucking love hugo weaving i'm i'm like i don't you know most of the shit he's been in and has gotten a big name like i haven't seen him in some sort of indie you know flick but he can do these kind of movies like nobody else can. 
Uh, he can play fucking Elrond right up your ass. Oh, man, I know? watched uh, V for Vendetta again. V day. for Vendetta? That is the best portrayal of a faceless Comic book, character. Crazy man. Yeah. Uh, since Darth Vader. That's just, I was like, that's awesome. I was like, that guy played such an interesting, nuanced, fucking awesome character, and you never saw his face. It's like, how fucking awesome is that? Hugo Weaving's a great actor. Hugo Weaving is underrated, and it's kind of a bummer he hasn't got his quote-unquote Oscar vehicle, you know? But that guy, there's something about him. He's like from New Zealand or something. He has a good uh, Yeah, I think he's either from New Zealand or or is he an Aussie? I think he's from New Zealand. He's definitely from one of those, because I saw a really early movie of his, uh, and he has his Australian accent. Anyway. Just underrated, but that guy, he was fucking spectacular in this and so goddamn menacing. And he has the best so stuff to say. He, has got, he gets the best lines. And he gets the best lines, and he gives you the machine's perspective, mm-hmm. which you don't really understand, but you're not meant to. I mean, I just and, love his, his when he talks about the stink, how he's just he's being yeah. driven mad by having to be around these humans all the time. And he wipes fucking, the sweat off oh, of Oh, I know. Just the morphs his head and like pushes it. Smell that pushes it up his nostrils. It's just such a great shot of you. I mean, you really understand what this character is going through. It's the disgust he hates I his have. Job. It's the disgust I have when I have to like knock a turd out of one of my wiener dog's mouths because that's what they're <laughs> just you. Yeah, God, that is smell. knocking dicks out of mouths. <laughs> that's right. It's how I feel every time I have to ride the bus. The smell of you it. You just want to, like Mr. Smith, somebody, you just want to, like, take, take that fat hog up in the front seat and just wipe her brow oh, with her sweat and slap oh, that, it back that in her face. Sort of semi-homeless guy that smells of B.O. and malt liquor <laughs> that gets on fucking right at the last second, and you got to ride all the way up to Everett with him on a goddamn bus. Who's smelling like B.O. and liquor and riding the commuter bus from You'd be amazed. downtown to Seattle to Find somebody, somebody who's friends with that retarded guy that hangs out all morning at the commuter park and ride saying hello to everybody. <laughs> if the bus is the worst, you see everybody. That's why That's why I will never drive, ride public transportation. Believe me, it's a good idea. Unless you absolutely have to. Do not ride public transportation. I think it's the nasty secret everybody's got to be honest with. Get out of your car and save the planet, fucker! Like, hey man, I don't, I don't need to imagine what the buses look look like. I've heard stories. I know it's a fucking hellhole. I would rather pull on a triple extra large pair of bike pants (laughs) and an old mesh like jersey from the nineteen eighties. (laughs) And <laughs> ride up and down the streets of Capitol Hill, then ride public transportation. Oh man, the 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 the, the city council is going to come after you, Mark. That's all I got to say. Gotta fucking, you're, you're if this podcast gets out, fucking enemy number one. But you don't have to convince me because I know what a goddamn human cattle car the buses are in this city that I will never fucking. I think we all, every one of us, has ridden the bus knows a little bit what the Holocaust was like. <laughs> Where's this? I'm getting off at the University Avenue, not Dachau. Can you just pull the thing now? Oh, cool. sometimes, boy, man, I've been right. I'm on an offensive of offense. This podcast. That's all right. It's good for you. Slavery jokes and feminism uh, jokes. Did we get those out? All right. 
Um, and Holocaust and, jokes. That's, that's, and homeless that's, jokes because we're picking on the homeless jokes. guys. Yeah, right. it's the trifecta. All right, on that note, let's uh, fucking get to the review. Ebert reviewed this movie um, back on March 31st, 1999. Gave it three stars, which is a thumbs up. He says the Matrix is a a visually dazzling cyber adventure full of kinetic energy. Cyber adventure. He uses the word kinetic quite a bit. Yeah, in, this, uh, in this in uh, this review, uh, but it retreats to formula just as it gets interesting. And he talks about it later, and maybe we'll get try to get at what exactly he means there. Um, he says there's a final showdown, um, martial arts battle, in uh, which the good guy gets pounded until he's almost dead before he finds the inner will to fight back. And he says, uh, just talking about the been there, seen that element. But he, though he does say that it is rarely done this well. I think that's right. You may have seen well, it before, but I think the, the the fight at the end where he gets up after being shot is pretty tremendous. This movie is so stylistically awesome. I think that's where it makes its stake. And you can said, well, what if the Sci-Fi Channel... Well, did this same source material. It's that's kind of the idea, right? Well, you can it's, always you execution. can always redo it as long as you do it better than anybody else has ever done it. And this, well, the charm, the charm. I guess that's kind of a lame word, but the charm of the Matrix is the fact that you're watching fantastic action. And when I say fantastic action, I mean action that is supernatural as you know all those kung fu movies and stuff that i'll use like kind of high what do they call high wire type of effects and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um we all kind of bought into it like we reviewed the five deadly venoms which used a lot of these kind of nascent techniques yeah and and it's cheesy but for whatever reason it's a little bit intoxicating Mm -hmm. uh, because of its uh, just i guess these almost juvenile notions of, of you know, like if you took two action figures and you had them fight each other, mm-hmm. do all kinds of crazy shit with them. There might be uh, some sexual the, stuff going on. And then there'd be, you know, some, yeah, there'd be some 69 with the G.I. Joe's. I like whatever. the action. Anyway, and it, it even makes more sense. In, in, the, in some of these kung fu movies, it takes place in sort of a magical past. In this movie, yeah. it takes place in a made-up world where you could do that. You don't see any of this shit in, in the real world. Well, and that's why it's so awesome because you're sold. Mm-hmm. You, 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 when they go into that lobby, the lobby scene, I think, is probably the one of the. You mean the, the guns, lots of guns that, scene. Yeah, just I mean, you just like as an as like a total comic book nerd mm-hmm. or a sci fi nerd or an action freak or a gun nut. Oh my god, this just movie strokes you, and it's not silly, and that's kind of the uh, amazing talent of the film is that when they go into the lobby and they have a gazillion guns on them and they're walking on walls and there's like these slow-mo somersaults where he's firing off an M16 in one hand while he looks like a goddamn one-way model. Well, I love the, the, I love the cartwheel he does where he picks up a fucking gun. I know. And but starts firing it, it before he's even done with the cartwheel. It's complete because you've, you've given the rules for the world that there really are no rules if you can subvert it with some kind of uh, preternatural talent, which he's done through all this 
you know, training and he can manipulate the matrix. We, we understand that. Then it doesn't seem silly, which is why it's so cool. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's, it's like a, a realist. It's like a video game. It's like a superhero a video movie. game. You don't, you don't think it's what, silly that Superman flies around and shoots lasers out of his eyes. But that's the talent of this movie is to that, that whole premise. Yeah. I think, and why you're like, oh my god, this is the most amazing fucking action I've ever seen. But it's and more than uh, that. It's because it's really fucking amazing action. And it's I mean, amazing. If it was shitty action, action on the Sci Fi Channel with the same explanation, you'd hate it. Right, and part of its attraction is the sl- use of slow mo, and uh, you know, sort of they call it the bullet vision or the bullet. Yeah, the that bullet that was the time. new technique that they developed for this film. Well, and it's cool because we used to play a video game, Cyberpunk 2020. Remember the old Cyberpunk game. And uh, one of the cybernetic enhancements that you could get were these sped up reactions that you have. I think they called them like, like Karenzikov booster, or the Sandivistan booster, or something like that. I actually looked them up before the podcast because I was curious. And you could basically speed up or slow down time to react to action, and you could literally dodge bullets and that kind of thing so when bullets are getting fired at Keanu and he's like oh I'm gonna miss that guy and I'm gonna miss that guy you know time is relative because it's the matrix and everything can be manipulated so why not time and he's able to overcome the bullets but that's why it's all like part of the fucking show man that's why it's so awesome so I have a question for you talking about bullet time for the lobby scene how long do you think it'd take to roll that whole uh, fight scene? Uh, dude, we'd be like about three months <laughs> of weekend. It'd be like three months of constant rolling. Yeah, that would be nuts. It's like, okay, you fired <laughs> off 50 bullets this turn. All right, let me roll to see how many bullets actually hit something. Okay, how much damage does each bullet do? Yeah. That was kind of the flaw of Cyberpunk. Anyway. Anyways, that would so, be So uh, continue on. Um, he says this: uh, the Matrix recycles premises... The premises of Dark City, which we've, we've talked about. In Actually, the recycled the set of Dark City, I read. Oh, did it? The, roof t- the rooftop scene at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, Strange Days, which I've never seen. Strange Days? Have you seen that? Um, yeah. Actually, I realized I ripped off Strange Days a little bit in my novel Nova Byzantium. Oh, shit. Maybe, maybe coming out this summer. I don't know now. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it turns up the heat and volume from those two movies. Um, he talks about the, the Wachowski uh, siblings. Uh, he says their first film, film Bound, made uh, Ebert's list 10 best of uh, 96. You ever see that, Bound? Maybe at one time. I don't um, remember it. Let me see here. He talks a bit about the characters, like Morpheus. And think about and, and uh, talking about Morpheus and Neo, um, he says uh, arrayed against them are the agents who look like Blues Brothers. <laughs> Whatever. I don't think that's that's funny, but not really accurate. They're like like, like they're supposed to look uh, just like G men. They're G men. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they got yeah. There's I don't know why he's thinking Blues Brothers. Um, maybe because Blues Brothers 2000 was coming out. <laughs> uh, With John Goodman and fucking somebody else. I don't remember. The uh, movies battles take place. He says in a virtual reality, and the heroes' minds are plugged into the combat. I guess that's the way to say it. And he mentions that uh, you can still get killed, though, because the body cannot live without the mind. Fuck. That's another thing I fucking hate, that whole bullshit. Well, you, well, you got to have the stakes, 
right? You got to have the stage. I mean, I, I don't think you have to. Just like you don't have to have fucking Joey Pants characters to have have uh, our other protagonists have trouble with the agents. You don't have to have those stakes in the Matrix. I mean, the agents don't have those stakes, and still, that's a fun fight, right? So, what would you have like some sort of yeah? Uh, go back to level one. Yeah, basically, they they get they, get they get they get thrown out and they have to dial back in and be a real bitch. You have to rewrite it, but I don't I don't think I don't think that's absolutely a, a conceit you need to make. Um, even with even if you keep the joy pants, you can just fucking kill the people in the real world. You just have to pull out their brain things. Um, yeah, yeah. He says the agents function primarily as opponents, uh, but for some reason, Ebert says here, the movie offers no clear explanation to why the Matrix-making program went to all that trouble. I mean, does he mean like the trouble of having agents trying to hunt down these subversives or the idea that there's the Matrix at all? Just I, I, have them be a bunch of fucking brain-dead blobs and tubes that you meant well i mean i mean i think maybe he's meaning why didn't the why didn't they create something more powerful than just some dudes with guns in the matrix uh, i mean they just, didn't have to make it exactly like 1999 you could have like you know some some other like like these flying robot things or something i don't know i don't know just uh I, it's, I it's a it conceit I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. i'm just not sure why he's talking about it um the matrix is uh like a superhero comic book in which the fate of the world comes down to a titanic fist fight between the uh representatives of good and evil i guess that's right i thought it's pretty fun fist fight i think he's trying to sort of undermine it there a little bit a little bit yeah um he says what happens just like we were talking about earlier when the billions who have just been unplugged from the matrix given that that's the the win state for the movie uh, do they still have jobs <laughs> yeah. yes shitsville is what they got yeah they got yeah you're like uh, yeah uh, goop goop uh, shoveler level yeah, 2 um, ass. uh but he's getting at a larger um a larger point um that um but why they mentioned at the end is that he wanted saying that he wanted to be challenged even more by the movie. He he said, I wanted to follow its material to audacious conclusions, not simply arrive at a victory, but arrive at a revelation sort of. And he says something is similar to the transformational revelation of the dark city. And yeah, I, I, I see where he's coming from, but on the other hand, uh, what I, I, I guess I liked about the film was while it did have a lot of exposition, it did kind of gloss over some stuff, but it kind of allowed the imagination to sort of build inside of it. I, I, I forgave it, but those transgressions, I, I didn't want it to have to own up to all that stuff. You know uh, what we could do? We could make a supercut where we just put the ending of Logan's Run on there. And then, oh shoot! A gigantic damn. shitty paper mache robot shows up at the end and <laughs> threatens to freeze Neo. Is that what we want to do? 
turn him oh, into seafood. Box. That's the, <laughs> the worst robot ever to be in a film, and that includes any film, the entire history like, like, of film. Like, like Hugo Weaving tears off of his uh, human facade, and he's just some shitty he's robot. With fucking like uh, uh, with, with dryer tubing for arms. Is, I I still can't believe how bad Box was. It's so bad that was like 1980 something. No, it was 76. Oh, was it 76? No, it but sucked still. ass. It was, it was that was high school production level. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, that's hilarious. That's I've terrible. About that in a while. Uh, all right, yeah. So that's pretty much it. I, he says he liked it. He enjoyed the action. Uh, he does talk that he likes the performances as, as as well, which I can't fault him there. But I guess he wanted something more, so he must have been satisfied by the sequels. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think know, the sequels are that bad. I'm not sure what you're I getting all worked up about. I, 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 I liked, what was it, the one after this one? Revel, no, I mean, uh, the one that takes, all, takes the place in the real world pretty much completely. Well, I like the car chase. The car chase was real fun. And I like those creepy twins. Oh, the second one and... takes place in the Matrix. The third one takes place in... Yeah, I just remember, like, uh, Battletech on the third one. That's I enjoyed I that. I thought that was one. pretty cool. And some scene where they go above the clouds, and it's, like, blue sky and some weird ship. And Yeah, then, then Neo's Christ is at one point. And then the How did it ends. end? Uh, there was a negotiated piece. Uh, Neo sacrificed himself for a ceasefire, basically. Oh, all right, fair enough. All right, sounds like about that. That was the deal. Best you get option. me, and I get a ceasefire. Okay, that was a long podcast, man. We're clipping up, but uh, I don't know. It was worth it. I, I really enjoyed the Matrix. I think it's yeah. Uh, it was a fun movie to watch again. It's been a while. It's amazing how fresh it still is. It's very seminal, and yeah, and the fact that it was set in 1999 by on purpose makes it a little, uh, in I guess. Uh, well, it was set in 1999 and filmed. It's sort of a weird period piece, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Like what I did was uh, about the cell phones and yeah. the shitty cathode ray tube and oh, this cubicle? Yeah. What did Rose think of the film? Did Rose? I think Rose actually watched it, but she was she kind of goes into this like laptop state yeah movies. it's not really yeah. a chick's movie i was thinking gene might be interested in watching but i decided to bail on that after she was hemmed and hawed a little bit i just watched it by myself by the way the supplemental uh film or uh, i guess it's a it's a what do you call it uh do you, short films do you have it on Animatrix? blu-ray or something no the animatrix oh the anima- oh the animatrix is a lot of fun a couple of those pieces are pretty good i recommend people seeing them the animatrix is good go check it out uh, so next week, Mr. well, next Hudson. week we're starting, um, <clears throat> well, look, let's just say that, uh, some of my choices for films recently haven't been, you know, met with excitement. Well, that's, uh, that's just me. They've been and, met uh, excitement by you. And it's true that some of them have been longish. And so oh, what I decided to do is like, I was wondering, but why don't I try to make getting some shorter films? It's like, what out there? Is less what films out there are less than ninety minutes and are and are interesting enough. And be quite honest, there's a lot of films out there. Um, but one of the first ones I came across that I thought would be interesting is Taboo Three. The night. No, now I'm not going to do any softcore <laughs> pornography. If we decide that, uh, and when you're ready for me to do for us to do a manual, you'll let me know. Um, 
Uh, one of the first ones that came to mind was um, Clocks in, I think, like 81 minutes or something. It's uh, the 19, I mean, the 2006 uh, uh, real sort of revolutionary comedy work by Sasha Baron Cohen called Borat, Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. <laughs> This is one of those movies uh, the critics <laughs> fucking loved. 91%. Oh, 91%, really? People liked quite a bit. Yeah. They didn't love it. It's a uh, 79% for the public. I think it's a little it's a little harsh for some people. The comedy is rough. Uh well, there there there's a scene that's just gross. Well, there's the dick yeah. scene, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's just gross. Well, this look, there's no gaping anuses, so I think I think we I think well, we I think we yeah. we've got a low bar there. John Waters there. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, I want to come back and visit this. This is the, what I'm doing. What I'm calling this is I'm calling this my short cycle, and I think I might actually do two short cycles because I've right. since I picked Borat. There's a lot of other films that are short, so it'll be the standard cycle. Uh, okay. What's con- generally considered to be a great film, and that's where Borat's coming in here. Um. And uh, then a film that's a favorite of mine, and then uh, maybe a challenging piece, maybe something older, okay. something a little more outside of our ballpark. And right. uh, so that's it. It's less than 90 minutes. So, you know, sit back and, uh, you know, get a half a sandwich and one of those <laughs> shorty beers. Or drink half of a bottle of whiskey. And enjoy, is... uh, yeah, this 2006 classic from Slosh and Barrett Cohen. All right. So next week is Borat. And until then. Never send a human to do a machine's job.